Hello, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Pelosity Holding Corporation second quarter 2023 fiscal year results. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask the question during the session, you will need to press star 1-1 on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker, Ryan Glenn. You may begin, sir. Good afternoon, and welcome to Paylocity's earnings results call for the second quarter of fiscal 23, which ended on December 31st, 2022. I'm Ryan Glenn, Chief Financial Officer, and joining me on the call today are Steve Beauchamp and Toby Williams, co-CEOs of Paylocity. Today, we will be discussing the results announced in our press release issued after the market closed. A webcast replay of this call will be available for the next 45 days on our website under the Investor Relations tab. Before beginning, we must caution you that today's remarks, including statements made during the question and answer session, contain forward-looking statements. These statements are subject to numerous important factors, risks, and uncertainties, which could cause actual results to differ from the results implied by these or other forward-looking statements. Also, these statements are based solely on the present information and are subject to risks and uncertainties that can cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements. For additional information, please refer to our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission for the risk factors contained therein and other disclosures. We do not undertake any duty to update any forward-looking statements. Also, during the course of today's call, we will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures. We believe that non-GAAP measures are more representative of how we internally measure the business, and there's a reconciliation schedule detailing these results currently available in our press release which is located on our website at paylocity.com under the Investor Relations tab and filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Please note that we are unable to reconcile any forward-looking non-GAAP financial measure to the directly comparable GAAP financial measure because the information which is needed to complete a reconciliation is unavailable at this time without unreasonable effort. In regard to our upcoming conference schedule, I will be attending the Stiefel Executive Summit in Florida on March 6th and the Raymond James Institutional Investor Conference in Orlando on March 7th, and Toby will be attending the JMP Tech Conference in San Francisco also on March 7th. Please let me know if you'd like to schedule time with us at any of these events. With that, let me turn the call over to Steve. Thank you, Ryan, and thanks to all of you for joining us on our second quarter fiscal 23 earnings call. Our differentiated value proposition of providing the most modern software in the industry coupled with continued strong execution, resulted in excellent Q2 results and increased full-year guidance. Total revenue was $273 million, or 39.3% growth over Q2 of last year, and exceeded the top end of our guidance by $12 million. Our continued strong sales momentum is the result of ongoing investments in product innovation, including leveraging last year's acquisition of CloudSnap, a flexible, low-code solution for integrating disparate business applications. We have fully integrated CloudSnap into the Paylocity suite and are leveraging this technology to provide the most modern software in the industry to accelerate the role of new integrations and use cases to better serve our clients and their employees. To date, we've developed nearly two dozen next-gen integrations across ERP, point-of-sale, time and labor, and expense-related software that allow our clients to experience better data consistency by sharing employee benefits, financial, and other key data elements more readily across their HR and other critical business systems. 
In addition, CloudSnap's low-code integration capabilities has accelerated the extensibility of the Paylocity platform, helping to drive differentiation and incremental value to clients by positioning employee data and the Paylocity platform at the center of their application ecosystem. We continue to see strong attach rates in our modern workforce solutions as clients realize the value in creating a unique employee experience and engaging culture for remote, hybrid, and in-office teams. Community and Premium Video, whose new features center on creating and sharing files, automating team groups, and centralizing video management, have allowed our clients and their employees to use our application in ways that stretch beyond traditional HCM functionality. This dynamic is reflected in our utilization metrics, where community monthly active users, posts, and announcements continue to demonstrate strong growth on a year-over-year basis. Similarly, the number of videos created and played within our premium video offering continue to grow faster than the overall business as clients look to increasingly connect and engage with their employees through mediums that are more engaging than traditional email. Our continued success in the market and commitment to product innovation continues to be recognized by third parties as Paylocity was recently named an overall leader in all 12 HRIS product categories in G2's Winter 2023 Grid Report, including the number one overall leader in several categories, such as core HR, HR management systems, performance management, and learning management. Similarly, the strong culture at Paylocity continues to be recognized externally as we receive the 2023 Built-in Best Places to Work Award. I would now like to pass the call to Toby to provide further color on the quarter. Thanks, Steve. Our focus on driving higher employee engagement, collaboration, and connection once again contributed to strong results in Q2 as these underlying tenets of our modern workforce solutions have continued to drive increasing utilization of these products as we exit the pandemic. This dynamic was evident in Q2 across a wide range of clients, including an auto dealer with 1,200 employees across 22 locations that has seen employee survey participation increase to more than 70% since the rollout of Paylocity surveys, which directly led to updates in their fringe benefit policies and higher employee engagement. Similarly, an outdoor furniture manufacturer with over 1,800 employees has seen over 90% of its employees engage with the Paylocity mobile app to communicate, collaborate, and recognize their peers. Combined with the ongoing investments we are making across our broader product suite, this commitment to innovating and building the most modern software platform in the industry contributed to strong sales execution in Q2 and helped set us up for a strong second half of fiscal 23. Consistent with the prior quarter, interest income on client funds continues to rise as a result of sustained interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve. Given the large market opportunity in front of us, we continued reinvesting a portion of this upside back into key areas of the business to help drive future growth. In addition to continuing our investments in digital marketing and our channel initiatives, which once again delivered more than 25% of our new business in Q2, we will continue to incrementally invest across our product suite to further innovate and deliver the most modern software platform in the industry. This is also a very busy time of year for our operations teams as they work closely with clients on year-end processing of payrolls, W-2s, 1095s, and annual tax form filings to federal, state, and local agencies and the implementation of new clients. I want to thank all of our employees for their hard work and dedication to our clients during this very, very busy time of year. I'd now like to pass the call to Ryan to review the financial results in detail and provide updated Fiscal 23 guidance. Thanks, Toby. 
total revenue for the second quarter was $273 million, an increase of 39.3%, with recurring and other revenues up 31.4% from the same period last year and $14 million ahead of our guidance midpoint. Our adjusted gross profit was 72.4% for Q2 versus 68.7% in Q2 of last fiscal, representing 370 basis points of leverage as we continue to focus on scaling our operational costs while maintaining industry-leading service levels. We continue to make significant investments in research and development, and to understand our overall investment in R&D is important to combine both what we expense and what we capitalize. On a dollar basis, our year-over-year investment in total R&D increased by 38.4% when compared to the second quarter of fiscal 22, and we remain focused on making incremental investments in R&D throughout fiscal 23 as we continue to build out the Payosity platform to serve the needs of the modern workforce. In regards to our go-to-market activities, on a non-GAAP basis, sales and marketing expenses were 23.7% of revenue in the second quarter, and we remain focused on making incremental investments in this area of the business in fiscal 23 to drive continued growth. On a non-GAAP basis, G&A costs were 11.3% of revenue in the second quarter versus 13.3% in the same period last year, and we remain focused on consistently leveraging our G&A expenses on an annual basis. Our adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter was $77.4 million, or 28.3% margin, and exceeded the top end of our guidance by $10.9 million, and represented 450 basis points of leverage versus Q2 of fiscal 22. We continue to be pleased by our ability to drive increased profitability through leverage and adjusted gross margin, adjusted EBITDA, and free cash flow, while also maintaining strong revenue growth. Briefly covering our GAAP results, for Q2 gross profit was $182.9 million, operating income was $18.2 million, and net income was $15.6 million. In regards to the balance sheet, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of $120.1 million and no debt outstanding. In regards to client-held funds and interest income, our average daily balance of client funds was $2.3 billion in Q2. We are estimating the average daily balance will be approximately $2.7 billion in Q3, with an average annual yield of approximately 320 basis points. On a full-year basis, we are estimating the average daily balance will be $2.4 billion, with an average yield of approximately 280 basis points. Additionally, please note that our guidance includes the impact of this week's 25 basis point interest rate increase and also assumes an increase of up to 25 basis points in March. In regards to client workforce levels, the number of client employees on the platform was flat in October, November, December, and January on a sequential basis in each month, and as a reminder, was up only modestly on a sequential basis in Q1. Our guidance assumes client workforce levels to be flat for the remainder of the fiscal year. Finally, I'd like to provide our financial guidance for Q3 and full fiscal 23, which assumes no further changes in client workforce levels in the back half of this fiscal year. For the third quarter of fiscal 23, total revenue is expected to be in the range of $330.5 million to $334.5 million, or approximately 35% growth over third quarter fiscal 22 total revenue. And adjusted EBITDA is expected to be in the range of $121.5 million to $124.5 million. And for fiscal year 23, total revenue is expected to be in the range of $1.156 billion to $1.161 billion, or approximately 36% growth over fiscal 22. And adjusted EBITDA is expected to be in the range of $358.5 million to $362.5 million, which represents 320 basis points of leverage over fiscal 22. 
In conclusion, we're pleased with our Q2 results and the strong momentum we have carried in the back half of fiscal 23. With our fiscal 23 guidance of approximately 36% revenue growth at the midpoint and adjusted EBITDA margins of 31%, we are firmly above the rule of 60 in fiscal 23. We remain committed to continuing our history of driving profitable revenue growth while also increasing adjusted gross margin, adjusted EBITDA, and free cash flow on an annual basis. Operator, we are now ready for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder to ask the question, you will need to press star 11 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, press star 11 again. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Scott Burge with Needham & Company. Your line is open. Hi, Steve, Toby, and Ryan. Congrats on the good quarter, and thanks for taking my question. Um, I've got two here. Um, we're seeing a little bit of weakness from some other SMB companies or, or software vendors focus, you know, focus down market a little bit. Any color in terms of what you're seeing around customer ads in the last quarter, maybe relative to your expectations, you know, uh, year to date? Yeah, sure, Scott. Um, so we had a really good first half of the year overall, and I think even uh, Toby mentioned, um, you know, talking about some of the sales momentum that we've had um, in our busy selling season, um, and that allowed us to significantly raise the year. I think we have an advantage being in the HCM business. Um, you know, payroll is something that every single company has to do. For us, it all starts with payroll and using the data from doing payroll to be able to connect to the rest of the suite and obviously sell a much broader solution today. And so, um, you know, we've had continued success um, in terms of adding new units, and we've also had success in terms of selling more product and um, also even more success uh, up market, as we've kind of called out over the last couple calls. Got it. Helpful. And then from a follow-up uh, question, I know Ryan had mentioned that your R&D expenses up roughly 38% year over year. That's faster than your revenue growth right now. And and I've called out many times how I think your product innovation is driving your, at least what I think are some perceived win rate improvements over the last two years for the company. But how should we think about R&D investments going forward? Do you continue to step on the accelerator in a similar manner as you have been recently, or is that an opportunity to maybe gain some financial leverage over because um, you're starting to, I don't know, hit, uh, hit as much product as you need to say? Yeah, I think, Scott, you know, our formula has always been a combination of adding new units, landing those customers, and then expanding um, the number of products that we've got. I think we have been fairly consistent being close to our revenue growth in terms of our investments in product and technology. We've never viewed that as a big leverage point. We've looked for leverage elsewhere. We see big opportunities to add uh, more modern capabilities to the suite, additional products and revenue opportunities to the suite. And so we certainly have not signaled any intention to be looking for leverage there. We think there's a fair amount of natural leverage in the business model in, in many other places as we scale. Um, so I think same approach as we've taken historically. Great. That's all I have. Thanks for taking my questions. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Brad Reback with Stiefel. Your line is open. Uh, great. Thanks very much. Steve, 
As you talked about sort of customers using the product in new use cases, is there an opportunity for new ways to monetize going forward beyond just per employee per month? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Brad. Um, you know, we called out the CloudSnap acquisition, the ability for us to integrate in our marketplace. We really view the data that we have about people to be really valuable to our customers, both from an automation perspective, but as we integrate with their broader suite of software that they're using to run their business, um, there certainly could be additional monetization opportunities. We, we are seeing that a little bit in marketplace. Uh, we're at very early stages of continuing to expand the number of providers and leveraging the data that we have. So I don't think that, you know, all of our revenue has to be PEPM. I think most of our revenue will continue to be PEPM, uh, but there's some opportunity for us to be able to leverage marketplace to potentially drive um, some referral revenue um, back to Paylocity as well. That's great. And then one quick follow-up. I know it's still really early in sort of the adoption curve across a lot of these newer products, but do you have any appreciable data yet on higher retention rates for customers that are consuming more of these non-traditional HCM products? Yeah, I would say that higher utilization, both in terms of the number of products that they use and then how much frequency their employees are logging in, does translate to higher retention. Um, it is, you know, a small difference. Um, quite frankly, there's a lot that goes into retention, right? The service elements are really important um, as well. Uh, but overall, we have historically uh, segmented the customers based off utilization and number of products, and we've seen the customers who take advantage of the broader suite, um, staying with us a little bit longer. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Bryant Virgin with Cohen. Your line is open. Hi, this is actually Jerry Levine on for Bryant Tech. In terms of the demand environment, was, was there any change in 2Q or through January in terms of the pace of prospective client decision-making? Yeah, I can start with that, um, see if um, anyone else wants to add color. I think we were really happy with um, our sales results for the first half of the year and into our very busy uh, January selling season. That's obviously what allowed us to be able to raise the year. Um, and so both top of funnel activity, in the larger end of the market, our core marketplace and, and even down market has been pretty strong. Um, we definitely are seeing the modern suite, the newer capabilities, the video product community, survey, LMS, all really resonating, even in a post-COVID environment where our clients are dealing with you know, hybrid workforces, they're dealing with the demand of more flexibility, Gen Z continues to grow in the marketplace. And so you know, we would certainly credit to the combination of service and differentiated product as uh, to our success that we've had so far. Okay, great. And then in terms of your client conversations, has the ROI and the payback period of your offerings increasingly become a focus with prospective client conversations? And how do you generally view the typical payback period with the average client? Yeah, I think, so maybe a couple of different points on this. I mean, there's no doubt that with the the type of product, the type of software that we're offering in the market, there is an appreciable ROI that comes from mo uh, both modernization and automating what would otherwise be manual tasks for folks. I think, though, the core of the value prop that we're really you know, focused on from uh, from a client or from a prospect pitch standpoint is really around the breadth of, of the platform, uh, focusing on the fact that we do have the most modern platform in the industry and 
talking to people about what we can deliver from a value proposition standpoint that is certainly with the core of payroll, certainly with the core of the HCM suite, but really getting getting into all the things that we're offering that really go beyond the traditional HCM suite, whether that's things like community or what we're doing with the Modern Workforce Index as we continue to expand the product set with things like Community Plus, um, what we're doing with video uh, surveys and LMS, really getting towards engaging with um, employees and giving clients the ability to engage with their employees in, in, in a more modern and differentiated way. So um, I think that's really the, the, the core beyond an ROI conversation of, of how we're having those types of, of client or prospect conversations in the market. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Terry Tillman with Truist. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions as well. I have a, a, a question and a follow-up. Uh, and, and dangerously, I guess my uh, creative juices are flowing. Um, you know, you all tout the idea of a modern platform and, and clearly payroll, core HR, and then talent management. You've got a lot of those capabilities. You keep adding more R&D. But what I'm curious about is I've been hearing software companies talk for a number of quarters now about this aspirational goal of vendor consolidation, and that will benefit their business. So whether it's a premium video, community, surveys, LMS, or just talent management bundles, I'm not suggesting you're going to shift from trying to go after new logos, but is there an incremental opportunity to almost have kind of a tactical selling effort back to the base to really drive kind of a vendor consolidation playbook? Hey, Terry. Yeah, so, I mean, I think as the the main part of our motion from a go-to-market perspective has certainly been in terms of landing new units, no, no doubt about that. And I think what we're seeing as we do that is new clients onto the platform have tended to take a broader part of the suite um, uh, which we feel good about. I think, though, to your question, we have also had a, a distinct motion going back into the customer base as we've expanded the product set going from, you know, $200 for the full product set at the time of the IPO to where we sit over $400 today, um, 440 I mean, we have an opportunity to sell product back into the customer base, and we do have a dedicated team that does that. So I think what you've seen from us is over the course of the last three or four years primarily, um, set up and I think invest more in that back to base motion and I think we've seen you know a reasonable amount of success with that. Okay, it sounds like that's still going to be secondary, maybe more opportunistic, but uh, but but maybe a future call option. Uh, well, I think give, okay. just given the, the the relatively low sort of share of a relatively large market that we have, I think we have put the bulk of our of our go to market motion in terms of landing uh, new logos and new units, and I think that just reflects the size of the opportunity that's out there in front of us. Yep, yep, sounds good. And I guess the, the follow-up question is up on the upmarket. I always like hearing examples, the auto dealership and then the uh, furniture manufacturer. You know, as you've continued to iterate on your platform and you have more capabilities, you know, whether it's a 1,000 employees plus or, you know, do you, do you feel like you could keep getting pulled higher up in the market? Or what, what could you share a little bit strategically how you think about that kind of upmarket opportunity over the next two to three years? Thank you. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a good question. You know, we've always focused on as we build new products, you know, we build the capabilities that we think our average size customer of a little more than 100 employees would really need. And then what happens is as we get more customers, we see more demand from our customers, and we really kind of live in product and technology on the idea of customers as a co-creator. And so they request features, and we continue to enhance the product. We keep teams in an agile fashion, constantly building on top of that product, and the, and the product gets richer in terms of the feature set. And that starts to appeal to larger customers. And so what you've seen over time is as, 
our talent modules have matured, as we've added some of these newer modern capabilities, we are starting to see differentiation, even up market, um, where they are starting to think about how do they engage in employees and going beyond automation. Um, you know, we don't think that that goes to the moon, quite frankly. You know, we've just increased the target market uh, about a year ago or so, and we're having success in that marketplace. So it's possible that that stretches a little bit over time, but I would be more focused on what Toby just said, which is we've got a really big opportunity in the market that we're in, um, very low market share. And so we plan on focusing on capturing as many customers in our existing target market as possible. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Mark McCone with Baird. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Congratulations on a strong quarter. Steve, Toby, you talked a little bit about CloudSnap uh, just in terms of prepared remarks and in the press release. Can you add a little bit more dimensionality with regards to how that's helping in terms of, of getting new clients um, you know, what are you seeing from a sales productivity perspective? And, you know, what are some of the integrations that are the most common uh, that you're seeing that you weren't able to do before that you can do now and that's really adding, um, you know, to the sales momentum? Sure. Um, so, so, Mark, we've had kind of a marketplace where our clients can connect, you know, disparate applications to the employee data that, that we have. Um, and certainly we can do that in a real-time fashion from an API perspective. Um, and we do that with some of our, you know, larger providers that get asked more frequently. On the flip side, you've also got customers who may have vertical market applications or whose applications, you know, may not be quite ready for real-time API capabilities. Um, and then it takes a while to build those integrations. And we've got a team of technical services teams that's been doing this for years. CloudSnap really enables that team to operate so much faster using the low-code capabilities that they bring to the table. And so we can configure integrations um, so much faster, and they also become much more scalable on a go-forward basis using that technology. And so for us, it really opens up the landscape of number of providers that we can integrate with, and it also um, gives us increased speed to market for those integrations and longer-term scalability. Right. And does that help you more in the up market or the or the mid market or how would you describe that? Yeah. You know, all the way across. Um, certainly up market clients are definitely demanding integration into their disparate systems. But even, you know, if you've got 35 employees, you'd love that connection into your accounting system as well. And so um, the scalability portion really helps down market in terms of us be able to scale that to a broader set of customers. Upmarket, you know, we may find vertical market applications that, you know, don't necessarily have horizontal, you know, um, penetration across all of our markets. Using CloudSnap, we can get those vertical market application ERP integrations up relatively quickly as well. So I think it's really helpful across the entire target market. And so are the ERP integrations the most common that you're seeing now, or what would be the most common? Uh, yeah, so I think broadly speaking, ERP applications – um, would be one of the most common areas, and certainly, you know, the accounting portion of that is, is a key integration. But if you think about it, you know, employee data ends up being kind of at the center of many workflows and processes at an organization. So we know when people are hired, we know when the term, they know when the supervisor changes. Uh, we know a lot of information about the employees that 
from a workflow perspective, you can power into other applications and create even more automation for clients. So although we're seeing a fair amount of demand in ERP, point of sale systems is another great example, vertical market applications, another great example. Um, and so we're seeing a fair amount of demand and we're excited about being able to fill that demand with CloudSnap capabilities. Okay, great. And then my follow-up is just on the, on the float, um, the effective yield, you didn't give the effective yield for the second quarter. I'm assuming it's somewhere around 290 basis points. Is that right? And can you can you remind us uh, what it was during the first quarter in terms of the sequential increase? And and um, you know you did give us the, the the float expectation for the for the third quarter. I'm just wondering to what extent um, you know that seems a little on the conservative side. Sure, Mark. I, I can take that one. So first quarter, uh, average daily balance was about $2.1 billion, and the annual yield was 1.5% or 150 basis points. Second quarter, you, you had it right, uh, about 290 basis points of yield. So you saw that, that big step up following the, the September and November Fed rate increases. Third quarter, uh, as we outlined in the prepared remarks, about $2.7 billion uh, client-held fund balance average there. Uh, 320 basis points of annual yield. And I think if you, you know, do the math in the fourth quarter, we're expecting about 2.6 billion of client funds uh, in the fourth quarter with about 3.4 to 3.5% annual yield. That's very helpful. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Tamad Samena with Jeffries. Your line is open. Hi, good evening. Thanks for, for taking my questions. Um, maybe first one, just around the, the numbers themselves. If I think about the F3Q guidance, it kind of gives us an, an early peek into F4Q, and I know the world is, is, is changing right underneath our feet at all times, but it, it implies kind of a low 20s recurring revenue growth rate. You guys have been growing well above that, and uh, you know, we're, we're big fans, and there's a lot of momentum behind the business. I'm just kind of thinking, should we expect growth to, to – is that conservative because of macro, or is that just uh, the comps get tougher, or is that just um, – how should we think about that, especially in the context of where the business momentum has been and where it was prior to COVID? Hey, hey, Samad. Um, so I guess the, the way I would think about this is if you go back to you know, the, the fiscal year prior to COVID, we were – in that sort of mid-20s-ish um, uh, performance range from a, from a recurring revenue growth perspective. And at that point in time, we were guiding, you know, in the in the low 20s. And I don't think our guidance philosophy has changed from then until now. Um, and, and what we had talked about at that point in time was, was continuing to operate the business and drive the business and invest in the business to be able to come out the other side of, of everything that was pandemic-related um, it, with with similar growth profile, and I think that's what we've talked about over the course of the last you know handful of quarters is as you start to get clear of some of the noise in the comps, um, which we thought would be you know the back half of, of this fiscal year and in particular Q4, you would start to see more normalized growth rates that probably start to look a lot like they did pre-COVID, certainly on a much bigger business. But um, um, and I think that's what we're that's what we're starting to see i mean if you if you sort of unpack some of the dynamics there ryan called out that we are seeing really you know flat performance from an employees on the platform perspective we have continued so what that has been a a tailwind um starting to comp some of those increases and so that starts to flatten out um 
I think you also, you know, from a demand perspective, um, you know, Steve made some of these comments. You, we have continued to see uh, a reasonably strong demand environment. The sales execution has been good, um, which, which we feel good about. I don't think you're seeing any, you know, I don't think we're any displaying any particular conservatism as it relates to the macro. We're certainly aware of the macro concerns, but from a performance perspective, um, have continued to see a, a strong demand environment. I think you're just starting to see us normalizing in Q4 back to pre-pandemic level of growth rates um, as we get through some of the, 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 the noise that was in the comps, which is pretty consistent with, you know, how we've talked about things um, over the last handful of quarters. Great. And then maybe a follow-up for, for you, Steve. As I, I just think about, you know, the, the company's evolution and, and to some of the questions you've gotten before this, are you getting both a – obviously your primary advocate is going to be the HR department, but are you getting more and different buyers inside the organization? Is that giving you access to maybe more dollars or budget that may not have been previously thought of going through these? That sure. department, or that they're able to allocate to you. How, how should you think about that? It's an interesting question. I think the buyers, for the most part, have stayed very much the same. Uh, meaning, it's typically your head of HR and also your CFO as part of that decision-making process. Historically, we would involve CEOs uh, at times, but it would probably be more from an approval perspective. I would tell you that we've had better CEO conversations when we start talking about how you engage employees, how you drive retention, how you're driving productivity in employees with things like LMS, how you're gathering feedback um, and making changes based off that feedback. So this engagement concept really does appeal to a CEO. You think people are the most important asset of any company. And so the ability to onboard new employees, to drive productivity, to make sure that retention's high, to attract talent, I think we definitely Although the HR and CFO buyer are still the key buyers, I think we've extended the value proposition such that we've got more conversations and access to the actual CEO. Great. Thanks again for taking my questions. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Bryant Peterson with Raymond James. Your line is open. Thanks. This is Alex Klon from from Brian. I know the current quarter is current is normally a big hiring quarter. Just want to see if there's any change at the margin to your hiring plans relative to what you had laid out the last couple of quarters. Yeah, I would say um, it's a little bit different by department. Um, but if you think of sales, it's really post year end. So as we start to hit the spring time frame, so this month in February and March, that things really ramp up and we start to put our, our planning process for next fiscal year and start ramping up sales headcount. So we're fairly early in that. We sometimes get off to a little bit of a head start when we can, um, and we always do that opportunistically, but the hiring season's really ahead of us. I think um, really good success from a product and technology perspective, great retention in that group. You can see um, we've had pretty good year-over-year increase in investments there. We're excited about the pipeline. Um, for that organization. And we went into the year end really fully staffed just from an operations perspective because it's a really important time of year to be there for our customers and be able to deliver the service that they need. Um, so overall, we feel really good about the staffing levels um, and the employee value proposition that we're selling in the market, a growth company um, in the software space um, that's not looking to reduce expenses, but looking to develop talent and promote people and continue to grow um, really resonates. So we, we've been really happy with our ability to attract and retain talent. That's great color. 
Uh, and I also I want to follow up on Terry's up market question earlier. So I'm curious, can you help frame kind of the percentage of your pipeline? I don't know if either in terms of MRR or if you have a, a different preferred metric, but that's coming from those up market opportunities now versus a year ago. Yeah, annual recurring revenue. We don't necessarily break that apart by any specific segment, but if you think of our historically our kind of 30, 40 employees to 500 employees, that's where we still get the majority of our new recurring revenue. Um, the larger end of the market certainly is growing really nicely. We've called that out really over the last several quarters. That continues to be success. Um, and we continue to get traction down market as customers are starting to look for those new capabilities. Um, so think about the majority of our revenue still coming from the, the core market that we focused on really from the beginning. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Matthew Faw with William Blair. Your line is open. Great. Thanks for taking my question. Just just one. Wanted to ask on the employee growth within your customer base and you know, the comments that that was flat and expected to be flat. Anything to read into that in in terms of the the health of your customer base, or you know, is this just sort of a more return to to what you would see in a, a normal labor environment? Thanks. Sure, man. I, I can take that one. I think you know if you if you think about the the guidance philosophy we've had all the way back to the to the start of the pandemic. Obviously, there's been a lot of uncertainty over that period of time, and I think the approach that we've taken is we've guided to to what's in front of us, and, and we've done that here again this quarter. Um, as I outlined in the prepared remarks, workforce levels have effectively been flat uh, since August and, and, you know, up modestly in, in July, and, and that's our expectation for the, the balance of the fiscal year. You know, to the extent things get a little bit tighter or we, we see some expansion the other way, I think that's sort of the, the movement within the guidance range. But Sitting here today, coming off of a, a really strong selling season and a great January, I think we feel good about uh, where the overall revenue guidance sits and, you know, obviously watching the macro closely, but have not seen any impact within the client base and, and likewise from a sales perspective, continue to feel really good about the demand environment. Great. Helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Daniel Jester with BMO. Your line is open. Hey, great. Thanks for taking my question. Um, you know, my, my guess is that at this point, Blue Marble is probably pretty well integrated into the platform. You've got CloudSnap now out there. I guess it, I, I guess it frees up potentially some bandwidth internally for, for inorganic growth opportunities. So Steve, Toby would love to kind of hear how you're thinking about inorganic uh, in the year ahead. Hey, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I think just in, in terms of those two, I think the, the, the press release that we put out, you know, certainly feel really good about what we're doing with CloudSnap. Steve made some comments uh, earlier just around what the capabilities that that's giving us from an integration platform perspective, and so really happy with how that's worked out and the value that's been able to add. Still in the process, I think Steve made the comments on the, the, the last quarter call, um, that we're still in the process of fully integrating um, the, the Blue Marble capabilities into the platform, and I think that's typical of how we would sort of approach any acquisition that we do. The, the process is that we bring something in and we'll then spend the time 
um, which could take, you know, anywhere between 12 and 24 months to fully bake capabilities into our platform in a seamless way from a user experience perspective, from a data flow perspective. And so the teams are still um, still working on that um, and feel good about the progress so far. Um, certainly, we, you know, continue to have the, the, the overall bandwidth to look at um, acquisitions that might be interesting. I think, you know, our point of view, you know, historically remains the case today. We would you know, prefer to, to always develop the next capability that we want to push out from a product perspective, but I think we've also, you know, taken advantage of, uh, in certain instances, the ability to accelerate things that might be really strategic to us that might be on the product roadmap uh, by way of um, what's largely been, I would characterize as, as you know, smaller product-oriented or technology-oriented uh, tuck-in acquisitions, and I think that that strategy and that viewpoint remains the case. Gotcha. That's a helpful. Thank you. And then, uh, maybe just a quick one on the integrations. I mean, what percent of your customers actually uh, have an integration today connected through Paylocity? Just wondering to kind of see what the overall penetration and how that could actually look over time. Yeah, I I don't know that off the top of my head, quite frankly. Um, you know, a lot of our customers have integrations for a wide variety of things. So a 401k um, integration, as an example, benefits integration would be another point of integration. And then you get into all the stuff I mentioned prior, ERPs and so on and so forth. Um, so I think that there's an opportunity to expand the number of integrations the way I think about it. I, I would imagine that, you know, in a, we would have to see a future where every client has at least one integration. And over time, we want to actually drive the number of integrations so that they can really leverage the people data that we have. And in a real time, workflow capability, they know when something changes about that person that will then enable one of their processes, create automation, and create an opportunity to um, have higher levels of engagement. And so our viewpoint is clients, we want to integrate with all of the systems that they use to run their business that leverage people data. That's the goal and objective. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Arvid Ramnamni with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my question. You know, a good, good set of results. Um, you know, my first question is really about this, you know, kind of, uh, you know, investments you all have made uh, over the past few years on, uh, you know, making your, your uh, ATM, ATM solution more employee-centric and driving engagement. Uh, you're certainly collecting a lot of data. Are you able to sort of feedback some of the data to your clients? Uh, you know, are they seeing value in it? And down the road, uh, do you expect that may drive some revenue growth in, in the longer term? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we've been um, investing for several years now kind of in machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence capabilities. You see that surfaced in our product already in a few different places, and we do see many more opportunities uh, as well. So one is in our modern workforce index where we look across our clients and we score customers based off how engaged they are in our platform. And we know the higher their score, the more employee retention they have. And we do that even by vertical markets. So we compare hospitality to other hospitality. And then as they start to use more of the product, they see their score going up. So the recommendation engine behind that starts to give them ideas on how they can get more value out of the product. We also will um, surface recommendations even to employees around uh, people that they might want to connect with, that they might want to communicate, that they might want to follow in community. That's certainly another place. And then uh, lastly, I would just say our dashboards and insights um, is another place that we try to surface that. Uh, but as 
technology continues to advance, uh, we see this being another opportunity to modernize our suite um, in pretty much every single module, leveraging you know newer technologies that, and artificial intelligence and machine learning. Perfect. Uh, uh, does this like you know sort of help your win rates, or is it you know at this stage? And do you, do you think it could drive like revenue growth? Like, are you able to specifically sure. charge for this uh, at a later point? It's a good question. Um, I think today it's largely driving win rates um, and it's creating differentiation in the marketplace. And I think as Toby mentioned early, when you've got such a huge TAM in front of you and a, and a big market opportunity, that's really important to have differentiation. I think the capability can be um, components of new offerings that we have. I'm not sure we see, at least in the immediate future, that we would charge for a separate SKU on some of these capabilities. But as we launch new products, being able to incorporate things like recommendation engines, leveraging all the data that we have across the organization, get our clients to see best practices and implement new, more modern capabilities. Um, that's where we see the more immediate opportunity than maybe a separate monetizable product skew. Yeah, yeah. You know, having followed for Velocity for several years now, I know, you know, even in 2018, 19, when you introduced community, you know, it was free. And then, you know, I, I appreciate your patience at trying to monetize I first introduced green adoption and monetize. I, I think that's a good good approach. Um, just a couple of uh, uh, quick quick uh, quick other questions. One is on this, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of employment levels. I mean, you know, are you able to quantify, you know, how much of your growth comes from, uh, you know, uh, basically increased employment at existing clients? Uh, I, I know in the past you have you have kind of outlined uh, rate increases offset any sort of employment pressures, but, but are you able to quantify, like, over the last couple of years, how much of your growth has come from uh, employee expansion at existing clients? Sure, Arvid, I, I can take that one. I think if you think about in a normalized environment with a, with a growing GDP, you, you know, you may get a, a point, maybe two, in, in a normal period uh, in, with client workforce levels. Obviously, over the last three years or so, you, you've seen significant movements both ways. I think if, if you if you anchor back to, to the pandemic, we talked about up to a, a double-digit impact on recurring revenue in, in fiscal 20 that, that bled over into fiscal 21. And then and then again, I think if you if you look at where we were from a spring of, of 21 all the way towards the, the summer of, of 2022, we saw nearly every single month sequential improvements. And as we've talked about each of those quarters, that has been you know a, a reasonable tailwind, and you've seen outsized recurring and total revenue growth over that period of time. To Toby's point earlier, as you, as you think about the back half of the fiscal year, uh, year over year, there's still a little bit of a tailwind here in the third quarter. As you get to the fourth quarter, I think we've, we've really fully anniversaried all of the client workforce levels uh, improvements that we've seen over the last handful of years. And you get back to that kind of low 20s or so recurring revenue growth. And as we, as we sit here and, and, and think about fiscal 24, continue to have a lot of confidence around go-to-market motion and our ability to continue to drive 20% plus as we get back to that more normalized employment environment. All right. Uh, uh, thanks, Ryan. That, uh, that was super helpful. Thank you. Sure. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Alex Zukin with Wolf Research. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question. 
Um, a lot of them have been asked, but I guess, you know, one of the constant questions we get from investors, and I'm sure you get too, is you, know, you look at the headlines, you look at commentary, particularly about, you know, white collar recession or employment levels at some point starting to, to kind of, you know, tick in the other direction from the record strength we've had here. As you know, Samad kind of asked this question about your Q4 numbers around conservatism. It sounds like you're not seeing any change in employment levels in in your customers. You're not even really seeing any change in sales cycle times in in, in your customer base for new uh, new logos. I guess how is there a reason that you guys have been able to decipher as to why that is uh, or when? We, you know, you would be anticipating seeing that impact from the macro economy, or, or is there just, you know, a level of resiliency either from a share of market perspective or a type of uh, client perspective that you serve that that gives you that resiliency on the recurring revenue line, and and maybe it's also just a mix of of SMB versus larger customers that that you're serving in in, in your business, but would love to get some just further clarity on that. Sure. Um, so obviously, been in this industry really my whole career, and I've seen the different cycles. The interesting part, I think, to me about this cycle is you still have relatively low unemployment levels, um, and certainly the headline news there are there are people reducing their their workforces, but there are still a number of jobs out there, and we're still you know in a growth environment. It's been a lot of lumpiness post COVID. Um, the other thing I would say is hybrid work, people moving from one industry to the next. There's a lot of resilience um, in terms of being able to move from one job to the next, being able to work from home anywhere in the country. And so I think the labor force can react relatively quickly as we've seen these maybe shifts in demand, as you said, from white collar jobs. Um, and overall, when I look at the longer term history is GDP is growing a little bit. We, you know, employment usually trails that a little bit from a percentage basis. If it's declining a little bit, you know, it's also going to decline trailing GDP. Um, and sometimes unemployment numbers, you know, can, t- can take a couple months before you see it all the way through. But if you think of all those headlines, you know, we've been flat for several months in terms of employment levels. And, and that frankly makes sense to me based off what I've seen historically. Now, that doesn't mean that that's certainly going to continue. That We have forecasted kind of a flat environment uh, for our guidance for the rest of the year. Um, but I think there's a fair amount of resilience in this type of employment environment where people can move from one job to the next relatively quickly because of the rise of remote work. That's actually a, a, a really a really unique and great explanation. It's, it's super simple and, and super, uh, super interesting uh, that the labor mobility effectively, you know, if one of your clients loses somebody, they'll, they'll pop back, pop right up at, at one of your other clients. I guess one other question I have is, as I look at the OPEX umbrella, it does look like for the first kind of this quarter specifically, your growth in sales and marketing is meaningfully ahead of uh, the recurring revenue growth uh, on a year over year basis, which I guess to some extent makes sense because it's aligned with your total revenue growth. What do we, when you think about your ability to kind of almost not over invest, but invest ahead at a level that that maybe you haven't been able to invest in the last couple of years, what are what are you in, if we think about the reaping the rewards of that kind of front loaded sales and marketing investment that you're able to make in the first half of this year? Is it do, do you anticipate it kind of driving um, 
greater growth durability, greater growth rate, when, uh, particularly when we start anniversarying some of those uh, tougher comps. Yeah, I mean, I think what you've heard us say over pretty consistently over the last handful of quarters is we, we've felt you know, very good about the demand environment. Um, we continue to. We felt really good about the, the growth opportunity in front of us based on having, you know, relatively low share of a, of a, of a very large market. I think what the message has been is, um, you know, we would continue to invest in certainly in sales and marketing, um, in, in sales headcount and in marketing and in channels, uh, a lot of that being in the form of digital marketing, um, support for our channel initiatives, which continue to drive 25% plus of, of uh, new business to us. And, you know, I think what you're seeing in the first half of this year is the continued progress and the continued sort of motion against that, that strategy. And, um, you know, I think we came into this fiscal year feeling really good about our staffing levels from a sales headcount perspective. Um, and I think our, our strategy on an ongoing basis has been to continue to add talent in those areas where we can, given that, you know, from an from a overall business perspective, sales and mar- marketing is certainly, along with product, um, you know, one of the big growth-driving areas of the business. And so I think you've just seen us continue to incrementally invest there in the, in the first half of the year, pretty consistent with how we've described it historically. And, and Alex, I, I just add there, if you think about, you know, our, our, our financial playbook, so to speak, is, and we've, we've talked about this over several years. We, we've talked about consistently investing where we can in what Toby just referenced, sales and marketing to drive continued revenue growth, or R&D, which you also see this fiscal year. And offsetting that, you're seeing the scale and leverage across the areas that, that we focused on historically and continue to do so. So really strong gross margin leverage this quarter, year-to-date, really strong GNA leverage this quarter and, and year-to-date. And I think if you add all that together, it allows us to drive in this quarter over 400 basis points of, of leverage to an adjusted EBITDA perspective while investing incrementally both in sales and marketing and R&D. So feel really good about that combination uh, in addition to the, to the strong revenue growth we're driving. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of CTP with Mizuho Group. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, so you talked about this flat, um, you know, employee growth uh, within your platform. So when you look at the incremental recurring revenue, what percentage of that incremental revenue come from new customer versus cross-selling new products, like right, increasing PEPM within your uh, install base? The vast majority of, of what you see from a, from a revenue growth perspective is attributable to um, new logo acquisition. So it's the result of, of selling new clients. We do, you know, as we've talked about, see certainly the opportunity to sell back into the customer base. That is, on a relative basis, still a, a smaller part of our overall revenue, still a smaller part of new sales, and that continued to be the case through the first half of the year and certainly in this quarter. Um, it's important to us. We've certainly continued to invest in it. And um, the more that we have introduced new product uh, over time, certainly the bigger that opportunity has gotten, and we've we've pursued it for sure. But still, the heart of the go-to-market motion, the bigger part of it, is um, new logo acquisition. Uh, great. And then a follow-up to earlier questions uh, in terms of employee uh, client employment growth. Uh, you you have exposure to 
you know, multiple uh, vertical industry, including tech and financial services, some of these white-collar uh, industries. So what's your mix? Like, what's your exposure to tech and any white-collar industry? Yeah, Sidi, I think, you know, as, as you think about our, you know, 30,000-plus clients, no client representing, you know, nearly anywhere close to, to 1% of revenue. And to your point, I think the, the breadth of, of our clients across various industries and geographies um, is pretty significant. There's nothing particular I'd call out as far as being over or under indexed to, to tech or any other particular sector. I think our, our average client having 100 plus employees, it, that composition would look pretty similar to the, the SMB space across the U.S. There's, there's nothing that I'd call out that is, you know, of, of particular note. That's great. Congrats again for a great quarter. Thank you. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Robert Simmons with DA Davison. Your line is open. Hey guys, thanks for taking my questions. I was wondering if you could talk about client retention. How has that held up so far this year and what have you built into your fiscal year guidance? Yeah, so far our retention rates have continued to be strong. I mean, we, we have talked over the last few quarters um, consistent with other sort of data points in the industry about uh, us seeing the highest retention rate really that we've seen over the last handful of years. That that continues to be the case. Um, and I think, you know, overall I would say, you know, January is the busy, busiest time in the industry. It's the busiest time for us as, as a company. And, you know, I think we're really happy with how we came through, you know, January from a, from an overall operations and an overall service perspective. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the high level of client service that we've provided through the course of a pretty difficult time for our clients uh, during the pandemic has been a huge factor in us differentiating on service and being able to serve our clients effectively when they needed it. And I think that's been a key contributor to us still being able to see, you know, record high retention rates from a last five-year period perspective. Got it. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I think I'm all set. Thanks. Thank you. Please stand by for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Jason Salino with KeyBank. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Thanks for fitting me in. You know, if I were going to kind of summarize things, it sounds like the demand environment, you know, is still pretty strong. You're executing really well and that you guide to kind of what's in front of you. But when we think about visibility, you know, how would you say your visibility is today and how it's changed versus maybe pre-COVID? Thanks. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, sorry, Toby, I jumped ahead of you there. Um, let me start. I would just start by saying, you know, from a visibility perspective, our model being recurring revenue and the fact that, you know, a big part of our revenue is retaining the existing customers. And then you overlay new customers and new recurring revenue as the year goes along. So think about it as we go along in that year, we get greater visibility to only two quarters left, obviously January being a huge part of our selling season. Um, at this stage, we have better visibility than we certainly did, you know, last quarter and, and significant visibility because we know what our retention rates are and, and um, we've got a pretty decent look into the pipeline of new business. And so it's just one of the benefits, I think, of, of this business model that we've got. I don't think, though, like at the size and scale that we're at now, versus maybe three or four years ago pre-COVID, there's a different level of, of visibility. I think it's just more inherent in the in the business model and where we're driving the revenue from. 
Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our Q&A session. I would now like to turn the call back to Steve for closing remarks. Yeah, I just want to take a quick moment to thank everyone at Paylocity for all their hard work and effort over a very busy year end. Um, and, of course, thank all of you for your interest in Paylocity. Everyone have a great evening. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.